career. You think to yourself, without my job, my career, I couldn't have anything else. Maybe it's your health. Some people might say, well, it's the fact that I'm healthy. If I wasn't healthy, I couldn't have my job and I couldn't have my career and I couldn't maintain my relationships. Someone else may say, well, it, I don't know what people would say. I don't know how people would answer that. Some people might say, it's my looks. You know, they may look in the mirror and say, I'm most valuable thing I have is my looks because without my looks I wouldn't be confident and I wouldn't have self-esteem and or someone else may say it's an internal quality it's my courage or it's my self-esteem or on and on and on the list goes someone were to ask me what is the most valuable thing I possess there's only one thing that I could answer there's only one answer that I could give the most valuable thing in my life is God. The most valuable thing in my life is my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Without exception. He's more valuable than my wife, more valuable than my children, more valuable than my health, more valuable than my money, more valuable than anything else I have is my personal relationship with God and the fact that He's involved in my life. That has taken the last 20 years of my life he has turned them upside down. And I'm going to share some of that with you this morning. Second question that I want to ask you to ponder is, what do you think it is that keeps people from experiencing real quality in their life? What do you think it is that keeps people from experiencing real quality of life? Now, if you go back to the first message that I gave... It was basically to shatter, uh, shatter our stereotype of quality of life. Most people today in America, and there's, a, there's certainly a huge political movement in this direction, believe that the reason most people don't have quality of life is that they, because they don't have the advantages that other people have. They live in poverty, they don't have enough money, they don't have enough education. And if they only had those things, then they too could achieve life, liberty, and happiness. And I tried to tell you three weeks ago that that just isn't true. No matter how we look at it, no matter how we go about it, quality of life is not a matter of getting a little more money into our pocket. Proverbs says that better is a poor man that is honest than a rich man and his riches gained by dishonesty. Proverbs tells us that better is a bowl of porridge or oatmeal or vegetables, depending on the translation, where love is than steak and strife with it. So I think we realize that no matter what a person finds themselves in, what condition, what circumstances, that if they have the proper attitude and the proper perspective, they have a wonderful life. I mean, Abraham Lincoln did not have all of the accoutrements and the luxuries and the advantages that other people had in his time. And he was a happy man. And, and I'm sure you know people like this today, but, but we have today more and more a struggle and envy between those who supposedly have something and those who do not because we have a perceived paradigm 
that riches make you happy. That if you just had a little bit more, a little nicer home, a little nicer car. And those of us in this room, many of you, you may not be living in absolute squalor and poverty this morning. But if we're really honest with ourselves, if we're really honest, we're discontent. Discontent is a national epidemic. It's bred every Sunday afternoon when you watch TV. Or Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday, all the time. We envy another person's body. We envy the color of their eyes. We envy the texture of their hair. We envy the shape of their body. We envy their health. We envy their girlfriend. We envy their boyfriend. We envy their car. We find ourselves secretly wishing, I wish that was me. I wish I had that. I wish I possessed this. And it's just an endless cycle. That's not going to make us happy. What is it that robs people from quality of life? Well, I want to give you four things to consider. Mankind is robbed from having quality of life by his sin, his brokenness, his guilt, and his shame. His sin, his brokenness, his guilt, and his shame. Those things rob us from really enjoying life to its fullest. Now let's cover the first one for just a moment. Sin. Well, what is sin? Sin is just basically shooting yourself in the foot all the time. That's basically what Americans do. That's basically what I did for 20 years of my life before I found Christ. I just shoot myself in the foot all the time. It's our humanness. For example, I talked to you last week about love, loving relationships, all right? And I talked to you about the importance of investing in love. It is impossible to have loving relationships without God. Because God is love. If you do not possess God in your life, you cannot and will not be a loving person. And you say, Mark, what, what are you talking about? Well, I'll try to explain. Before I came to Christ, I had girlfriends. I was an older brother. I have six younger siblings. And if you ask me, well, did I love them? I'd be the first one to say, well, yes, I loved them. Yeah, they're they're my brothers and sisters. They're my mom and dad. So then if you followed up the question and said, all right, how do you show your love? Do you make their life a joy? No. I tease the snot out of them. (laughs) Well, now, how about your mom and dad? Do they really? No. I was a rebel hippie. In fact, I'll never forget, I'll never forget one of the defining moments of my teen years. I didn't have a stereo. We had a hi-fi. You know what a hi-fi is? Well, I could have had a stereo, but I didn't have the money. So I had this old hi-fi, and I'd play my albums on the hi-fi. And Led Zeppelin was my favorite. And Grand Funk. And I played as loud as the hi-fi I'd go. I did it for two reasons. One, because I liked it loud. And two, because I knew it aggravated the heck out of my dad. And I'm very serious. And I'll never forget the day he came up to my room after he told me five times to turn it down, picked the hi-fi up and threw it down on the ground, put a gash in the floor. Man, he had my attention. Somebody asked me, do you love your father? No, by my actions, I did not love my father. 
You see, what I'm trying to explain to you is that, that we use words all the time that don't really mean what the Bible says they mean. We've watered down love. Actually, I was a selfish kid. I did what I wanted, when I wanted, and I didn't care how it made my mother or father really feel. The only time I did is because I wanted their attention and then I wanted it for selfish reasons. I wanted it for something I could get, whether it's strokes, whether it's psychological feel-good vibrations. But it was never because, Mom and Dad, I care about you and I want your best. I won't go to this party tonight or I won't do this thing because I know that it matters to you and you and your feelings are important to me. That wasn't how I lived my life at all. Um, The girlfriends I had in high school... I was extremely possessive, extremely jealous. I wanted all their attention and all their affection. And to top it all off, I had a terrible temper. And I'd let them know when I wasn't happy. Squeal the tires out of their parents' driveway, kick the car, whatever it took. I'd let them know, you didn't make me happy. I can tell you right now, That if Christ had not personally invaded my life 20 years ago, I would not be married today. I would not be going on to almost 17 years of marriage. Because Mark's humanness, Mark's selfishness, Mark's sin would have already destroyed this beautiful thing that I have. I am part of my... Uh, duties as a minister, part of what I do as a pastor is I answer the phone and I deal with people's problems. Not a day goes by in the last nine years that I haven't been on the phone with someone. Often it's many times a day. And I can tell you, basically, if you reduce it all down, we're dealing with the fact that the person has been human, they sinned, they made a mistake, and now they're suffering the consequences, and I'm trying to help them get through it. I'm trying to help them get through it. The second thing is just our brokenness. We just, we're just broken people. Do you know the old little nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's soldiers and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. That's the truth, men and women, with our lives. We're broken. We're broken. And there's no one who can fix us but God. TM won't fix you. The New Age moment won't fix you. Yoga won't fix you. Religion won't fix you. Therapy won't fix you. The doctor won't fix you. Not not your spirit. I'm talking about spiritual wellness. Spiritual wellness is the thing from which all else flows in your life. And if you're not well spiritually, if you don't have a deep quality of spiritual life, then everything else is infected. Everything else will eventually fall apart. We have an emptiness on the inside of us. And we're broken. Today in America, our families are broken. Our kids are broken. They don't get from what their parents they need, but the parents don't have what they need. Our society is broken. Our government is broken. Our school systems are broken. Our businesses often are broken. They're filled with corruption and unethical people. 
I could give you a list of statistics of what it costs every day in America, the billions of dollars that are lost because of the dishonesty of employees. I mean, the list just goes on and on. So, so we're kind of like a car. This nation is like a car going down the road and part of the rubber's coming off the front tire. It's raining and one of the windshields is busted. The, the windshield wipers. Only one of the headlights work. But we think we're doing okay because we're still going down the highway. We're broken. And then there's guilt. Then there's guilt. My I deal with people every day where guilt is just robbing them of the joy they could experience in life. Because they've done something, they know they've done something. See, the secularist, the humanist has tried to eradicate guilt by eradicating responsibility to God. See, that's how, that's their approach to life. There is no God. You came from the muck. You came from nothing. You therefore are responsible to no one. Do what you want. Do what you feel. Live to fulfill yourself. But when you're alone, and you're all by yourself, and the quietness of your own thoughts, there's that haunting voice that says, you're responsible. You did wrong. You're guilty. It might be things we did when we were six years old. It might be things we did when we were ten. It might be things we did when we were eighteen. It might be things we're doing now. But we experience guilt in our life, that hauntingness that comes back to us in the worst possible times. Makes us feel, I just don't deserve this. I just, I'm unworthy of that. I'm such a wretched person. And then there's the shame, which goes right along with the guilt. The shame. And I've had shame in my life. We've all had shame for a variety of reasons. And along with that comes regret. We look back in our life with regret. And they're like a ball and chain that we just carry with us. I don't know if any of you ever saw the movie The Mission. But in The Mission, you have this man, Robert De Niro, who did this terrible thing. And so he, he looks for some sort of penance that he can do. He goes to the church. He becomes a, a, a monk. And what he has to do is he has to drag his old life, and it's a shield and sword and all these accoutrements that he used to wear in a battle, and he has to drag them behind him wherever he goes in this net, this fisher's net with a big rope behind him. And then in order to do penance, and the monks are following him, and, and he has to climb this huge mountain and this scale, this huge waterfall along the side. Time and time again, he falls back. It pulls him back. It pulls him back. Many of us, we think, that's what I need to do in order to get into God's favor. That's what I need to do to get rid of all of this sin. I I need to do community service. I need to do something to make up for all. Something so that I can point to it and say, now I feel good about my life. Well, you and I both know that in the real world that we live in, you'll carry that ball and chain the rest of your life. It just follows you wherever it goes. The past haunts you. It haunts you. And you limp emotionally because of it. See, no one may ever see the limp on the outside. I see it. I see it. When I see people come by the door, when I talk with them in conversations, when I talk with them on the phone, I see the limp. 
God sees the limp. But we don't. We just we look like whole people on the outside. But God, He sees the spiritual quality of our life. Or the lack of it. And He realizes that it's the spiritual that gives life to all else. See, life starts with God. God is spiritual. And you and I cannot have life without God. Unless He makes our spirit alive, we do not have life. We simply exist. We simply live primarily in the physical and emotional realm. But we don't have the spiritual quality to our life. And it's the spiritual quality that is most important. What John read to you this morning out of John 10.10, Jesus said this, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. That you might have it in all of its fullness. Jesus told us, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. Well, what does he mean by those things? When, when the Bible tells us in John chapter 3 that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would never perish but have everlasting life. What was he talking about? He's talking about this. God looks out on the world. And he sees that mankind, men and women, are bent on doing things their own way. Can we be honest about that this morning, folks? Let's really be honest with ourselves. If we had a choice between doing things God's way or our way, we've been doing them for many years our way. When the rubber really meets the road, we may say one thing with our mouth, we may assent in our mind to one thing, but when it comes to living it out, when our feelings are hurt, we lash out at the person who hurt them, one way or the other. It might be in silence, it might be in verbal anger, it might be in other subtle ways. We don't turn the other cheek. We don't love even when we've been hurt and devastated. And if we do, it's generally out of our own self-interest. Jesus said, no greater love is this than a man lay down his life for his friends. That's the kind of love that comes from God. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that love is patient, love is kind, love is not envy, love is not rude. Love is not boastful, it is not self-seeking, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't rejoice in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. You know the old King James Bible started out with this. Love suffers long and is kind. That's what patience really means. It means you suffer for a long time. And you don't belittle the person who's made you suffer. You don't get discouraged, but you're kind to them instead. That's divine love. That's spiritual life. And that's what we're lacking in our world, it only comes through Christ. And every person who wants it can have it. It won't cost you a penny. Christ won't cost you a thing. All that God asks of you and I is that we embrace His Son. You see, God wants you to live forever. You talk about quality of life. God's intention for every man and woman was that they live forever and live forever with Him. He never intended that anyone died. It's sin that kills people, not disease. Don't ever forget that. If you remember one thing when you walk out of here today, 
and you've not yet come to Christ, just remember this one thing. When you see people die, when you see people killed, sin is killing our planet. Sin is killing human beings. Now it may show itself in the form of cancer or tuberculosis or AIDS or all kinds of other diseases. But it's all because sin has begun deteriorating the planet. And sin was man's choice to rebel against God and to do things on his own and, and, and abdicate the spiritual quality that we could have had in our lives. And God wants to get back involved in your life. He wants to personally... See, God's involved in your life now or you wouldn't be here. Many of you came because you got advertisement in the mail. That wasn't an accident. God's looking out for you. But let's go beyond that. God reigns on our planet. He provides food for you to eat. You know, you may think God's not involved in my life. Well, if God just decided to block the sun for the next solid year and allow no more rain on the entire planet for another year, you would find out how dependent you and I are, really, on God, even if we don't know Him. Fortunately for us, He's never done that. I have a little poem that I cut out of a newspaper. In the back of my notebook, it's my little planner notebook. It's called, If God Should Go on Strike. And I read over that often, often every week. Just to remind myself what would happen if God decided to go on strike. Cut off the air, cut off the oxygen, cut off the sun, cut off the moon, run the oceans dry. We don't, we don't often reflect on that, but you see, God doesn't want just to be involved in your life in a universal sense. God wants to be involved in your life in an intimate sense, in a personal sense. And that's what happened to me 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Basically, I got tired of running, to be real honest. I got tired of running from God. I was brought up with the awareness of a lot of the things I'm sharing with you, but I didn't agree with them. I didn't like them. I didn't want God involved in my life. And in fact, okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'll always, try to, I'll always try to be real honest with you. I hope it doesn't bother you, but I'll just be honest with you. I like sinning. I mean, I wanted to sleep around. I didn't just give in to temptation. I was intrigued by it. I thought sin looked a lot better to me than read my Bible. And a lot of my friends were the same way. They didn't do drugs just to experiment. They did it because they wanted to do it. They wanted to rebel against authority. It was a rush. It was a thrill. And we wanted to do it. We got a kick out of sneaking out on our parents with our friends and drinking before we were of age. We wanted to do it. We didn't just do it because there was peer pressure and we were fighting this deep internal struggle. Oh, should I? Oh, no. Oh, should I? I couldn't wait to rebel. I couldn't wait to have a car and get out from under their apron strings and do whatever I wanted to do. That was bred into me. I was born with that. And movies like The Trial of Billy Jack and Buster and Billy and Death Wish and all the songs by Led Zeppelin and Grand Funk, they just awakened what was already in me and I gelled with it and jived with it because I wanted to rebel against authority. I had no idea 
no idea, my friend, of the consequences that would come in my life as a result. Because nobody told me that. And many of you know the same thing. When I look out on the world that I live in, a world that God cares about, that I care about, it just brings me to tears. Nobody's warning anybody of the price you're going to pay. And it may be your life. But even if it doesn't kill you, it will rob you of years of quality in your life. Sin is devastating. Immorality is devastating. Broken families are devastating. Drugs are devastating. Alcoholism is devastating. Rebellion is devastating. God's got life. It's like I shared with you a few weeks ago in Proverbs. You see, wisdom stands in the streets. How long will you be simple? Here I am. Just reach out and embrace me. Just do what's right. Live right. You'll enjoy such a deeper quality of life. (laughs) And we turn our back. And I turn my back. Till one day, one day it almost cost me my life. It almost cost me my life. And when it almost cost me my life, and I was only 19, going on 20, I said to God, God, the most important event of my life, the one that ends it all, I have no control over. I'm not ready to die. I'm also not ready to face you. And I turn my life over to you. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of being haunted every night I lay down and put my head on the pillow and wake up with this haunting voice about my responsibility and about who I'm running from. From this day forward, Lord, I want you in my life and I need you to forgive me. I've done a lot of mean things. I've done a lot of cruel, hurtful things. And I need your forgiveness. That's why Christ died. He died so that every man, woman, and child on the planet, if they wanted, could be forgiven for everything they've ever done. You don't have to do penance to get it. You don't have to pay money to get it. You don't have to pray really hard to get it. You simply look at what God says He did. He sent His Son for you. And Jesus died and He rose from the dead. He's the only spiritual leader to ever do that. Buddha's dead. The Hindu gods are idols. Buddha's just a little carved big guy with a belly. Allah, and Muhammad, excuse me, is dead. Jesus is not dead. He died and rose from the dead for you. And you can know him by simply inviting him into your life. I want to read off just a, just a few things that have happened in my life as a result of God. When someone says, well, how do, what do you mean God is the most valuable thing in your life? He has given me security that's better than money. I tell you right now, I live the same kind of life you live. I live in the same planet you live. I am a father. I have four children. My daughter right now is in Chicago at a tournament. You don't think that the thought crosses my mind? I wonder if she'll get back. I wonder if we'll ever see her again. I wonder if a drunk driver will hit her tonight because they're driving back. They'll get back about 2 in the morning. Sure it does. I love my children just like anyone else. I want to take care of my family just like anyone else. But I'll tell you right now, I'd rather have God than money any day. 
I know that God is working in my family. I know that whatever God allows in my life or in my family's life, it's for my good. And it may be hard at first to grasp, but He's proven that to me over and over and over again. And whenever I doubt it, I just go back to the cross. Whenever I'm feeling on a particular day, I don't think God loves me, I just go back to the cross. For God demonstrated His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves me. And I'm telling you, I have such security. I know that God is bigger than the whole world. I know that God can move in the hearts and minds of people. And I know that God answers prayer. I'll never forget when I was... um, I don't remember the exact age. I was 25, 26. I had a couple children... I was out of work. For three months I was out of work. Those were really hard hard months. They were really difficult. And I was praying every day, God, give me a job. God, give me a job. But the problem was I also didn't have a car. Because the car I had, I sold back to the dealership. So I could no longer make the payments on it. The business that I was in with another gentleman, it, we just our business just up and died. So I didn't want them to have to repossess the car, so I went back and I they bought it back for $700. So I got on a $700 payment plan to pay them back, take the car. was out of work, out of a car. And I began to pray, and I began to pray, my wife began to pray. And all I could do is let my fingers do the walking, so I started in the A's of the business section and finally got to the S's. And got a job, but the job, I needed a car. So I borrowed a friend's car to go to the interview. A week later, the guy called me back and said, you've got the job, you start Monday morning. This was Friday. So I had between Friday and Sunday night to get a car. I didn't have any money. And no one was going to give me a loan. So we prayed. We prayed Sunday night, 10 o'clock. Someone I didn't even know called me on the phone and said, you know, I've got a car sitting in a garage. It hasn't been driven in about a year. It's not an antique or nothing. I just live two blocks from where I work, so I never use it. Would you use my car? Because I'd, I'd like it to be running, and if it was running, it'd be kept in better shape. Monday morning, I showed up, had a car. If I hadn't had a car, I wouldn't have the job. I could stand here this morning and tell you story after story. I want to tell you something. Would I rather have money or God? I'd rather have God. He has given me peace of mind. What would you pay for peace of mind? What would you pay for peace of mind? Just a tranquilness in your life. I, I see so many people that are either so afraid of life. I know many parents that are only having a couple children because they're scared to death to bring children anymore into the world. I have peace of mind. Because I know Christ is bigger than the world and bigger than the world's problems. And he's bigger than anything I could face. And when you come to know Christ, God comes and lives inside of you, see? You don't live alone anymore. I'm not alone anymore. 1975, I took off hitchhiking and I was alone. One of my problems, one of the things haunting me was I was really lonely. I, was, I would never let anybody know that. But I was really lonely. And I remember sitting up in the mountains in Colorado when I hitchhiked out there and just, th- just feeling so lonely, so lost, so aimless. So purposeless. What is, you know, especially, I don't know if you remember this, but when I was, it's a scary thing. All of a sudden, life hits you in the face, like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do for the rest of my life? I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm lonely. 
And I'm purposeless. Nothing's captured my imagination. And I sure don't want to go to four more boring years of school. That's what I was thinking at that time. You know what it's like to never be lonely again? Because God came and lived inside of me, and He's with me wherever I go. Last 20 years, He's been with me wherever I go. If I go in the shower, He's with me. If I'm facing a whole group of people, He's with me. If I'm on some dark street, He's with me. The God of heaven's with me. And He'll be with you. He has given me a clear conscience and forgiven me by removing guilt and regret. I can't tell you what it's like to have a clear conscience every day. To know every day there's no guilt in my life. God has forgiven me. Every single day that forgiveness is as fresh to me as the first day that I got it. It's new every day. See, when you come to Christ, God forgives everything, past, present, and future, all the things you will do. Does that mean I walk around arrogantly? I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do nothing. No. It gives you the strength and humility to say, I was wrong. To your kids, to your wife, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? Don't have to be proud anymore. Don't have to be cocky. Don't have to think you know everything. He's made me a more loving man and a patient father. I, I just can't, I just shudder to imagine what kind of a dad I'd be without the Lord. And I really mean that. Please do not think I'm exaggerating because I'm not. I shudder to think what kind of a father I would be if it wasn't for Christ. He has given me strength to handle the pressures and trials of life. He's always there for me and carries every burden as I give them to Him. I cannot tell you what a comfort, what a refuge prayer is to me. It's a very big part of my life. Now, I don't walk around with ulcers. I don't walk around feeling burdened in my life because I've learned the habit of giving them to Him. Jesus said, Come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. That's where you really need it. See, Proverbs tells us that a man's sickness he can endure, but who can endure a broken spirit? The reason you don't have greater strength in life, the reason you get easily discouraged, the reason you have, often we have a quitter mentality, because we don't have internal strength. We don't have deep spiritual soul strength because we're so burdened down and our soul can't handle all those burdens. Christ can handle them. He's given me confidence because I know He always loves me. I grew up, you know, some of you were here last week. I grew up with a, my mother. I knew my mother loved me. My dad, you know, you just... As I was young, I knew he loved me. But as I get older, I wasn't always sure. My brothers and sisters, I know they're not sure. And you may even have lived through a broken relationship in your life. You may have someone tell you they love you and then they don't. They show you sometime later that they don't love you anymore. I want to tell you something about God. He always loves you. Not only does He always love you, but He always likes you. He always likes you. And He's glad He's got you. And there's never a day He regrets that you're His little child. Ever. That'll give you a lot of confidence. He has given me wisdom and insight to live my life so I don't really screw it up. That's one of the most valuable to me. The wisdom and insight of His Word. I used to think this was all bogus. I used to think my mother was such an idiot, such a fool. And then when I was 19 and a half, I started reading it for myself. And I was stunned. I was shocked at what I found inside this book. 
And now today I'm sharing with people all over the world what's inside this book. And it's changing their lives as well. Me, just a high school graduate who was aimless and purposeless out of high school today. The answers to life are contained in these pages. The answers to love, the secrets to parenting, the secrets to life. Right in here. He's given me power to do things I could never do on my own without Him. Oh, how, how I thank God for the strength to say no to my carnal desires. If I didn't have the strength to say no to my carnal desires, I would have already made a mess of my life. I have many people that call me, Mark, I want to stop this. I want to quit this. I want to stop this, this uh, destructive behavior. How? You need Christ. And then once you get Christ, you've got to feed on Christ. And as you grow, and as you say no to the things that are out there by faith, even though you may not feel like it, God gives you the strength to stay on the path of life instead of headed for the ditch of destruction. And then lastly here I have down, he's taken away fear. Most, most of our lives, and I, and I tell you mine as well, was ruled by fear before I came to Christ. Ruled by fear. Especially, you say I'm not afraid, you're afraid of what people think of you. That's why most people are scared to death to speak publicly. Public speaking is a bigger fear, survey show, than death. Because you're so exposed. I mean, am I, am I good enough? Did I say the right word? Did I, you know, and that's why we, most people hated speech class. Who wants to get up, stand, and, you know, look like a dork? There's all kinds of fear. You know, I, I kind of, uh, my heart goes out to most of the young men that I see wear their no fear gear because I know it's a sham. Because I was a young man. It's a joke. You better believe you're afraid. You're afraid your buddies won't like you. You're afraid you won't be good looking enough for the girl that you'd like to have. You're afraid you won't make it in sports. Scared to death. It's a joke. No fear. The only way you have fear is have God. David said in the Psalms, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the strength of my life. What can man do to me? Though an army besiege me, I will not be afraid. Fear not. Jesus said, for I am with you. That's where real power comes from. And God wants you to have it. Today as we close, I want you to know that, that God wants to come into any life here this morning that is willing to invite him in. So all you have to do is by faith in your heart, from your heart, sincerely from your heart, say, Lord Jesus, what, what Mark said today really hit the nail on the head for me. I've been running. I know I'm guilty. I know I've done things wrong. I never have ask you to forgive me. Answer this question. If you were to die today, do you know for sure where you'd spend forever? If you don't, if there's even one iota of doubt, invite Christ into your life. He can change your life. And then you begin reading His Word and your life will begin to take on a whole new perspective. Christ is who you need. So as I close this morning in prayer, you know, you don't have to pray out loud. You just pray right where you're at. God can hear you all at once as though you were the only person praying. You just say, Lord, come into my life. Come and change my life. I need you to save me. I want what Mark spoke about today, and I realize today that you're where I need to go to get it. 
I promised you when I started this that I would show you the best things in life are really free. This is the best thing that will ever happen to you. And everything else comes from that. And it won't cost you anything. Just your humility. Lord, we thank you this morning so much for your unfailing love. I thank you this morning, Lord, that you gave your life freely for us. No one coerced you. The Father didn't twist your arm. You did it because you passionately love every single person in this room. Every single man, every single woman, every single child, every boy, every girl, every baby. You love them. You love them enough to come and and be born in human form. You love them enough to be spit on and mocked and made fun of and beaten up. You loved us enough, Lord, to give your life as you hung there naked for all the world to see. And the Father poured out his wrath on you that we deserved because of our rebellion. You took it all because you love us. There are so many more things, Lord, I could say today about how you've changed my life, how you've changed the lives of millions of other people around the world, billions, and many thousands that I know alone of people that you've changed. I pray that you'd help individuals here this morning, Lord, who don't know you, to embrace you today. You long to embrace them. And you will embrace them if they'll let you, if they give you permission, if they say yes this morning. Help them in Jesus' name. Amen.